Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm wearing I'm wearing my uh, my bootleg Springs t-shirt that my, my buddy from college, Glenn Mintor, got me when he was at the makeup concert. Because Springsteen was supposed to play in Madison Square Garden. It got snowed out, so Glenn went back for the makeup. And I got to tell you something about these uh, bootleg t-shirts. They sure have changed. Because this one has, like, no label. Like, usually, you know, I got one, like, eight or nine years ago at the police concert at Dodger Stadium and it had that big bulky label that stabs you in the neck. This one has like no label and it's great because just two years ago, I went to see Motley Crue at the Hollywood Bowl and as I went down, I got one bootleg for 10 bucks and then all of a sudden they had them for five bucks. I said, well, I got to get a t-shirt for five bucks and between the bootleg t-shirts and the uh, ghetto dogs that they sell it was like every other stand and the dogs i mean the, the shirts was also was crappy but this is really nice quality when you look at the back it's a little distorted you know people are just putting stuff on and i'm sure i didn't proofread it but they probably spelled some kind of city wrong but i gotta say thanks glenn because i'm really digging the shirt and i found out my guest today patrick fabian is a big springsteen fan absolutely and i, I you know i would have not known that that was a bootleg shirt and i was at that police concert and I got a bootleg, and I know the tag you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Because it had it had the three on the front. Sure. Because we were sitting there, and I, I, I'm not going to pay. I, I paid money for like Springsteen when I saw him open Staples, and I still have that shirt. So it was sure. a good shirt. Well, that's because it was $145. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I used to grow up like going to the Spectrum in Philadelphia. I would have like Blue Oyster Cult shirts. and, and once Blue Oyster Cult was my first concert. Well, see, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I know. You're from Pennsylvania. Uh, you went to Pennsylvania. City Island was my first concert, first rock and roll concert. Me and Andy St. John and Greg Whitcomb and Sam Fry walked across the train tracks to City Island, and we saw Blue Oyster Cult. BOC was playing. And at the time... We were young kids in high school, and at the time, you certainly didn't know how to handle anything we possibly may have been. I'm not saying that we were smoking marijuana, but in case we had been, it turns out that at the second half of the concert, um, I was incapable of watching the concert right. anymore. So I, I, I had the shame for all of high school. Dude, you missed the Godzilla monster. But that that was a great <laughs> part of it. But that was the only shirt. I remember, funny about that is, I remember I went to see the Who concert at, at, at the Spectrum. I think I was a junior in high school. And I don't know why I did this, but... I asked my neighbor if he had any pot or booze, and uh, he had a bottle of vermouth. So we drank a bottle of vermouth, oh, and, and after the actually, like, like as soon as the concert ended, I was holding in, getting sick. Oh. I got violently ill. So, do you, you remember the Magic Bus? Uh, WTPA uh, FM one hundred and four Rock Central PA would take a thing called the Magic Bus down to the Spectrum. And uh, I got to go see Rush on their Signals tour. First time I ever saw Rush. Me and Frank Appa, who was first chair of trumpet at Cedar Cliff High School, we had tickets to Rush, and you get on the Magic Bus. Well, the Magic Bus is just, you know, it's a Greyhound that goes from Harrisburg down to Philly, takes you to the concert, and brings you home. Kind of like uh, the Uber of its day for, like, you know, 28 people. But the reason it's a Magic Bus, of course, is because other than the driver, everybody is partying of course but we're high school kids so we get on this and <laughs> we don't know what's going on and we have a great time we go down we see rush our minds are blown i become a life lifelong rush fan you know before that but the concert sealed the deal for me and uh and i came back and uh and i remember later on in life thinking there's no way the driver wasn't high. There's oh. no, there's no way. Well, back then, I mean, you know, I think about it. You know, growing up, going to the beaches. You know, we would go down to the Jersey down Shore, to the shore, sure, and we would get a case of beer and drink it on the way down. <laughs> on the way down. And my buddy would always say, my mom buddy, when we get to a toll booth, would go, hide it. I'm like, I'm like, the guy doesn't, <laughs> the guy makes like, and back the toll booth collectors got paid good money. And he, I'm thinking, you know, I 
out, he gives a crap that we're drinking. I don't think he cares. It's crazy. If you're having your what was it, Genesee Cream Ale? Oh yeah, it, it was it, it was Brad Holmes' van that we would take down to. Uh, we go to Wildwood Crest. Okay, no, because because I I would go to Stone Harbor and Avalon. Sure. See, you look you look like a you look like a Stone Harbor Avalon guy. Well, it's, it's funny, Stone Harbor at the time I thought was more fancy. We thought that Stone Harbor okay. was a fancy place. <laughs> well, see, why would we wouldn't go? Just because. Well, and when I was in college, we lived down there. Uh, I lived down one summer in Avalon. It was it was a lot of. Uh, well, you went to Penn State. It's yeah, a, it's a lot of Penn State kids, Villanova kids. I went. Sure. I went to a small school in New Jersey, a public, uh, a public school, a state school, uh, Stockton State, which okay. now is a university. And a lot of the regulars, like the town regulars who lived there year round, went to our college. So we would go down, and we would get in every bar, you know, because there'd be bouncers we knew, and we get hooked up for drinks. And it was. Oh, uh, we were not that. We were the, we were definitely the tourists from Pennsylvania. Okay, no, no, no. We, you know, we our big thing was being able to score. You know, I I could go buy beer and they wouldn't card me. That okay. was the, that was our big score. <laughs> it's so funny. I'll A change. pony keg with no ice. That's oh, yeah. that's what your finances it's, were. It's funny. So now now you grew up in Cumberland. I know you think says Pittsburgh, but now your your, your IMDb says Pittsburgh. But you're uh, yeah, well my yeah you try and change that. Yeah, exactly. Try, try and change that, or God forbid, change your age. And thank God I'm not a woman, because women trying to change their age, let alone that it's on IMDb, is such a big thing. But originally, I am uh, from New Cumberland, Pennsylvania. But my roots come from Pittsburgh. My brother still lives out in Murraysville. My dad grew up in the South Hills of Pittsburgh. I'm a Steeler fan. I'm not. I don't cut Philly. I cut Pittsburgh for all my sports Fun. team. And uh, but I grew up in South Central PA in New Cumberland, right across the river from Harrisburg. Now, when because you're a tall guy, you probably played sports. I was short. Oh, you're short. Okay, because I was, I was say- short all the way until mainly my freshman year of college. So I played sports when we all were the same size. Okay. And then I stopped playing sports around like 12, 13 because I stopped growing and everybody else kept growing. So football became, I mean, we all played football, which you did in Central PA, right? And, uh, but I was also in band. And so I took to the less contact sport and I uh, ended up being in band and chorus and orchestra and plays and stuff like that through middle school and high school. What made you want to start acting? I mean, was it something that just caught your eye? Because a lot of times, you know, it's our age, there wasn't as many acting programs. It's not as prevalent now, I think, for. Oh, no, I was a band geek, right? I was I I played music and, you know, that was still what you were called. Band fags is what you were called. I mean, and and I I said it pejoratively (laughs) because that's what it was. But the the thing is. from an early age, from like fourth grade, I got a trombone and started playing. I love jazz. I love playing. I love the idea of being part of a, of a collective, you know, making music and making sound. I love the idea of dedication and rehearsal. And then you get this, you get to perform, you get to have a concert. And I think that whole idea of like being in a, in a um, in an auditorium where the lights go down and a story is told or music, whether it's lyrically, musically or visually or whatever, I like that. I dig that. I dig the light the fire and tell a story thing. And that's what a theater is. And so I got my first exposure to that doing it with music. And then you get into high school and then you're, you know, you, you've got some chops or something. And of course, uh, the, the choir people are like, can you sing? You can read music. So they get you to recruit you for that. And, and I got recruited then to play uh, the string bass because I knew how to read bass clef. And then somebody said they were doing a musical, which I had no idea what that was. So then I got up on stage and auditioned for that and sort of shed the trombone, shed the instrument and got to stand there and sort of, you know, do my thing. And I was like, ooh. This is interesting. I like this. So you started getting into the acting. Yeah, I got into the acting right then and there. And then um, uh, I'd love to tell the story real quick because my – so it's high school. I'm doing musicals. I'm playing and all, all that stuff. And by the way, in Cedar Cliff at that time in 1983, our sports teams were on a low. They weren't winning as much as they used to, and our band was cleaning up. I mean, we were winning state championships and that sort of thing. So it wasn't as geeky to be in the band. At least we didn't. We didn't know any better not to think that because all of our relationships were, were within that. Um, 
So my dream at that point was to be a first chair trombonist in a pit orchestra on Broadway. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, no, not at all. But when, when you announce that to your for your family, um, you know, saying I want to be a musician is not the thing that usually brings a smile to your mother and father's Especially face. Especially so random, like a trombone player. A like, trombone yeah. player. Because please, name name the famous trombonist at the top of your head, right? So I remember telling my dad I wanted to be a musician. I remember my father, talk about restraint. Now that I have kids, I'm like, wow, was he have good restraint. Because my parents were the first people of their both re- uh, respective families to go to college. So then... They're providing college for me. And I'm like, I don't want to go to college. I'm going to go to New York. I'm just going to play in a, in a, in a pit band. And he's like, uh-huh. So uh, he sort of keeps his mouth shut. And then I come back one day and I say, hey, I, I changed my mind. I don't want to be a musician. And you can literally, I remember his face, the relief that washes over him. And in the very next sentence, I say, I want to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> so he sort of blanches. But to his credit, he doesn't say no. And he says, well, maybe you need to go to school for that. So I ended up going to college uh, for theater, which he figured was a win-win. I'm going to get to a university. I'm going to discover I don't want to be an actor. And I'll be at a university. And I'll find something smart to do with my life. And you went to Penn State. And I went to Penn State because it wasn't an arts college. He, he was sort of nudging me in the direction of like, well, why don't you go to a, an institution that has a lot of variety and this and that? Because at first I wanted to go to like, you know, to Carnegie Mellon or right. North Carolina School for the Arts. Which, by the way, I auditioned for and did not get in anyway. So that wasn't even a choice. So I came around to that idea, too, of like, hey, let's go to a football school. Well, you know, it's funny. I think that you probably knew. I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Oh, and okay. a ton of people went to Penn State. So you probably, back in the day, back in the you day. knew someone that uh, I went to high school with. Let's just throw a name. Uh, Sharon Dunkelberger. Let's just say that. Exactly. That was Sharon Dunkelberger. <laughs> so so you, go, you go to Penn State. Now, now, are you really starting to excel in the acting? Are you really getting into it? Are you studying? Because you... you you know, or did you just say, I'm in college, I'm no, it, doing it, acting? It's my declared major. And so, uh, you know, people often ask when you're in school or, or college, you know, did you rush a fraternity and stuff like that? My fraternity was the theater because that's where you're spending all your time between rehearsal, building other people's sets. And, and basically, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a training ground. You know, you took dance, you took, you took speech, you took history, you took all that stuff and you took acting class and then you auditioned for plays. And that was exciting. Once again, back to that idea of like the theater. You go to a room and it's, you know, there's nothing there. And then by opening night, everything is there. And then you're telling a story every night and it's unique every night. And it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it's thrilling. And when it really works, it works like, when it really works, it makes you feel so alive. I think collectively, everybody in that spot and the wonderful, the, uh, the mercury about it that slips through your fingers is that how do you recreate that again? And it's almost impossible. And it's elusive like that. And I... And I love that challenge, you know, uh, you know, lights out, curtain up. I still get chills and excitement about it. So that was happening all through college. So I, 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 I didn't waver from that. I just kept getting excited about it. I ended up getting a, a Bachelor of Fine Arts, a BFA from there. And, um, you know, I held spears left and right of all the great works. You know, the graduate students were doing most of the lead roles. And if I wanted to do lead roles, we'd do them like, you know, they called it midnight at six. You do theater at, you know, midnight. And all of your friends would come and support you doing stuff, you know, in retrospect, you know, horrible, horrible self-written plays, wildly overacted, <laughs> overwrought. And, but, you know, you're 18 and 19. It's a great time to go ahead and stretch out and feel that. And those professors there, and I think about that, too, as adults watching 17, 18 and 19 year olds figure it out, the inordinate amount of patience and the ability to sort of nurture seeds i mean forget all the just the, the, the growing up hormones and emotions and self-doubts that are involved in that now try and navigate it for somebody who might have an artistic expression and they see might be able to you know uh, put it out 
I remember a professor, uh, Bill Kelly, he gave this the paper, I think it's the paper chase speech. Like a hundred of us are sitting there. It's the first day class, you know, and we've all, we all want to be actors. And he sits there and I think, I think he was smoking in the theater. Like, I believe he smoked camel lights because I thought, oh, he's smoking. He didn't care. He had a big walrus mustache and he's smoking. He's like, hey, you wanted to be a theater major. Good for you. And he did that whole thing of look, look to your right. That guy will be gone in six months. Look to your left. That guy will be gone in another six months. Look in front of you. And basically said, out of this whole room, maybe one of you, maybe one of you in 10 or 20 years might be still working. I'm not saying paying your rent but might be working as a professional actor. And I know everybody in that room goes, oh, it's me. Right, right. right? I mean, that's the great trick of it all because you go like, oh, it's me. And it immediately sort of sets your mind at that. Um, and it hasn't taken until like years later where I was like, oh, well, in that case, it was me. Right. It may have been some other people in that class too. I don't remember, but it was me at that, at that moment, you know? And that was because I was, even at a young age, uh, now that sounds really like self-aggrandizing, but I was, I was committed I don't know if I was so, so committed as I was focused for as scattered as I clearly am. Uh, at that moment, there was there was no other option. There wasn't a fallback plan. I was like, well, how do you do this? Right. And like, you do it like this. I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Now what do I do? You know, and I was, you know, 18 and, you know, maybe my, my head was very far up my ass in a lot of ways, but clearly I showed a little bit of potential about what to do. Well, when you, when you graduated, then you came out to, to well, get your master's. So right? I wasn't even going to go to school, right? I was supposed to be a first chair trombonist right. in New York. Uh, now, uh, I've already lived, I chased a redhead to, uh, between my junior and senior year. Uh, and I lived in New York city and I waited tables and I started to get to know the city and lived in Queens with five other people. And, uh, and I wasn't going to come back to school actually. I'm like, I'm already in New York. I'll be an actor, man. Uh, and I had a professor who wrote me and said like, Hey, you're all lined up. That's great. He goes, but you know, uh, you're not going to change that much in a year, but you will have a degree. And I still want to help you work on this and work on that. And again, gentle, not saying come back, you're going to be a loser. And, uh, and my father wrote me, uh, the only letter he ever wrote me in li- my, my life, he wrote me a letter and said, I don't know anything about what you're doing, but I do know from what I know about being alive and having a degree, having that piece of paper showing that you finished something, says something. It says something to an employer and uh, maybe you shouldn't assume that you're going to be an actor all of your life. But anyways, it was those, those factors combined. So I went back, not only did I finish my degree, then I auditioned for graduate school because I had never been west of the Mississippi. And I was going to go to New York or Los Angeles. I knew that. And so uh, we had some friends who had gone out to Cal State Long Beach. They had a graduate program. It was two years. And I thought the worst case scenario is if I go to school out there and I don't like it, I'll move up to L.A. Right. And as it turned out, I went. And now I became the older student. I was the graduate student. And uh, and it was like doing rep. I was the lead. I got to do the leads of everything. So I was doing two, three shows a semester for two years. So I got like eight, 10 shows under my belt. Lots of stuff, you know, you would never, ever be cast in anyways. Um, and I got my chops up and I, and I got, I really got to put into practice the classwork I had done at Penn State into work at Cal State Long Beach. And, you know, and at 23, I'm armed with a master's degree now. So, right. so it was my father, of course, love because then I could say, you know, I can teach with that. That was enough for them. They were like, great. We've done, we've done the best we can with our wayward son, you know? <laughs> so, so you have your master's. Yeah. You're, you're near LA because you're in Long Beach. Yeah. Now, what's your, when you graduate, what's your plight? Do you say, I want to keep doing theater or do you say, I want to do TV? Or, I mean, I know you did theater out here. Did you move to LA or what was, the, what was your whole gravitational thing? I would love 
I would love to pretend that I was this this artiste who wanted to go and hit the regionals and work on my, uh, you know, start collecting the great roles of Shakespeare and the great roles of this and that. Um, I always had my eye on wanting to get in the movies and television, you know. And so I moved up to Los Angeles armed with six years of higher education and nobody cared. That's what they always say. You know, you sit there, you have all this and, oh. and you have the, the resume, but it's like, yeah, this, this is TV. It's yeah, not, yeah. Who get, yeah, can, yeah. Can we say who gives a shit on yeah. the radio? Yeah. Who gives a shit? They don't get, who cares? Oh, a, 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 a geeky blonde boy just showed up via Pennsylvania who came to Los Angeles and wants to get in the, pi- you want to get in the pictures, kid? Get in line, you know? But again, I was like, well, how do you do this? And I was told, you get involved with the theater company. That's something I understand. So I started working with the Pacific Resident uh, Theater Ensemble outside out in Venice, California. And they're like, we need you to build sets. Well, I know how to do that. So I built sets. And then you want to roll? Yeah, so audition. So then you start to roll. And, you know, I started doing stuff like that. And uh, I was waiting tables downtown at a place called Steps. It's now called Nick and Steps uh, in the California Center. And uh, I was pulling double shifts. Paying my rent, you know, Ashley Carr, who was my mentor at Cal State Long Beach said, look, I don't care how you pay your rent, figure it out. Your first job is just to figure out how to live. There's no glory in living like a, like, like a pig or an idiot. Learn how to live. So figure out your rent, whatever it is you need to do and do that. And then in all of your extra time, all of your other spare time, that's your career. So I waited tables because you could get cash and eat like most guys do and most girls do. And um, then I saw there was the LA Shakespeare Festival auditioning. Didn't pay any money. And, uh, and I thought, oh, audition for that. And I had a friend who worked with me at the time. And he says, but you can't give up your, your shifts. And I was like, dude, I didn't come here to be a waiter. Right. And I, and I don't say that again, self-aggrandizing, but literally I was like, no, this is a way I'll quit this job if I need to and go find another job. These are disposable jobs, but the job is to go do that. So I went ahead and got, uh, I got cast to again, move furniture in a production of love labors lost. And, uh, I'm sorry, much ado about nothing. And it was Ben Donenberg. Uh, who came out of Yale and saw the uh, New York Shakespeare Festival and thought, oh, I'll do that in downtown Los Angeles. So he saw Pershing Square and he said, oh, we'll do it there. Having no idea that there's 15,000 homeless and everybody empties out at night. So he makes that miscalculation, then changes the festival into a free festival in a festival that then supports the homeless and and gathers food. Boom, he gets corporate sponsorship. City Corps takes care of it. So we perform at the John Anson Ford Theater and at the base of the City Corps Plaza. So we do that. I work for a summer for him, and then the following summer, he offers me to be an assistant stage manager, which will give me my equity card at the end of the summer. And I also get some lines. I get to play Moth to Time Winter's uh, Don Armando in Love's Labor's Lost. And the reason I'm going so long-winded about this is because by doing all of that, the lead of the show, who's who's a woman I cannot remember, her agents were writers and artists at that time, and they came to see their client on opening night, and I'm in the show. And so a wonderful woman named Jean St. Calvary came backstage after the show because good agents go to shows and see theater. And she said, who are you represented by? And I said, I don't have an agent. And she handed me her card and she said, call me tomorrow. And that literally is the moment my professional career began because I had my equity card in hand, which was a gold star in my brain from an actor's point of view. And then that wonderful woman received my call the next day and said, I can't sign you because have you seen your resume? Right. <laughs> Congratulations on playing, you know, uh, the, the Russian classics in, in Long Beach, but that is not going to sell it here. But she said what I can do is called hip pocketing you, which means that she would send me out. I didn't I, I didn't realize at the time, of course, you better book something because you, you're now on the clock. I was like, oh, great. This is how it happens. So this is the time that Doogie Hauser was still was on the air because I remember distinctly 
wearing a fringe jacket I had bought in the West, West Village of uh, of New York. And I, I mean fringe, like it was like buckskin and the fringe, Remember them. The fringe was like eight <laughs> eight inches long. It's, I made it, it noise was, when it, I walked. It was sort of like when they had those Bon Jovi leather jackets with the, yes! with the things oh coming off the sleeves. I don't know what I thought I was auditioning for, but I was wearing that and it was hot and I was sweaty. But I remember coming out and going to a payphone on the Fox lot and calling her up and saying, I, I did really well. I think I got it. And she was so nice. She goes, I bet you did. But we'll wait for the call nonetheless. All right. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> Eventually, I did book something, and I ended up booking a pilot. And so they signed me, writers and artists did, and I quit waiting tables uh, that day. What was the pilot? Do you remember? The pilot was called Rise and Shine. Falsy Brand were the guys who actually did it. They were hot on a hot streak right now because they had done um, – did they do Northern Exposure? Yes, I believe so. I believe so. And so they were in the catbird seat, and everything they came out with was getting uh, you know, made. This was a half hour with Kathy Kinney and Judge Reinhold. Um, it was about a morning radio state. Uh, it was a morning radio show for kids, and the guy they got as their uh, uh, as their ringer was like an old drunk. Hilarity ensues. I play an uptight dude with glasses. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm chewing the scenery. But who was the? Oh, I'll remember his name. He was the head of NBC at the time. Tarnikov. No, afterwards, he he reigned over um, the the must see TV Thursday lineup. Oh, um, I can't think of He'll that. deny this, I'm sure. He put his arm around my shoulder during tape night and said, you can go pick out a house. I love this show. <laughs> well, I'm I'm like 26, right? Who else do you need to hear it from? So literally the next day I go to work and I'm like, oh, I'm done. And I remember uh, like uh, somebody, one of the managers was like, oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, good luck to you. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm done. They're like, but you have, a, you have a double on Saturday. I'm like, no, I don't. And I took off my little tie and I took off my apron after the shift and I gave all my money to the waiters and I went to the bar and got loaded and said goodbye to everybody and walked out. And literally that was it. Of course, the show did not get picked up. Right. They, they were shooting a 500 <laughs> pilots at that time, right? There was no chance it was going to get picked up. Um, but you made the, you made money off it. Yes. I, so, as a matter of fact, I think I made, and, and it still sounds like a giant amount of money. I think I made $13,000. And I was like, whoa. And that was the first time I realized, what do you mean the agents are taking 10% of this? Wait, the government thinks I make this every week? Why are they taking so much? And, you know, so I ended up with about $5,000 and some nice flowers that the network sent me. And the show didn't get picked up. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And uh, my friend at the time said, and it was such a great piece of, he just said, well, go get another acting job. And literally, I was like, oh. And that's literally what has happened since that moment back in like 1992 it's just a matter of like what's the next thing how do i get that job and uh you know my career has been literally driving around looking for parking and changing clothes in my car well it's funny as i saw in your on your imdb you were actually you were had a uh role on the mr Rhodes show which which tom has tom Rhodes. tom has been on this show he was so nice and he had because he came on i I kept chasing to get him because i remember when he did stand up but now he's like, you know, back then he had like the real hippie look and he's, he's, he's cut his hair now. So he, oh, has and, he? And he quit, I haven't he, seen him since the show. Well, he, he performs a lot in Burbank actually. Oh, you're well, he, he performs, he performs like he's one of those comics that performs like in Amsterdam. Like he performs worldwide, but when he's around town, he usually goes to the flappers in Burbank. Oh, I got to yeah. take a look for that. Cause I would love to see him again. But no, I saw that. No, what was some of the other shows you're doing? I know you end up getting on a say by the bell. The, the, the college years the college years yeah that well i mean and guess what i still i was in the new york post last week and the reason why was because they were doing an article on ray seahorn who is uh, in better call saul with me and uh and then as a sidebar they just had a little photograph 
yep, that's him. And it was a photograph of me as Professor Lasky and then me as Howard Hamlin right now. And I just thought, like, if I die on the way home right now, if I get in a car accident, I can guarantee you I'll get a line on the very back of a Hollywood reporter in the very corner that'll say, <laughs> Professor Lasky dies of tragic auto accident, you know? Well, now, that was, now you, you had done the pilot uh, that, that didn't get picked up, and then you were getting acting jobs, but yeah. then was, 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 the, was the Saved by the Bell one of your first recurring roles that you got? Yeah, I mean, it was. As a matter of fact, I think, I think we can call it a regular. I, I can't remember. I signed a contract. I signed a contract. Remember, we discussed that, and I signed a contract to be on it and stuff like that. So I was on like nine episodes of it, and so in theory, if it had continued, I would have continued with it. Um, so it was the first time I had a parking space and a pass to go on the lot and all that stuff, and I had not known about the show. I was blind about uh, how it, uh, what a following it had. You know, it was a Saturday morning right. uh, giant thing. Right. You're like, right, everyone knows what that was, and I did not. So, 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 so but Okay, so you didn't know how big Saved by the Bell was. So, no. so coming in, say, because most actors would think, well, how long did the show last? Oh, we got kicked off the air by the Olsen twins. Yep. I mean, but most <laughs> actors, luckily you didn't know because you already went through the, the first thing where you quit your job. Yeah. This, you would have sat there. Most actors, I would think, who knew about Saved by the Bell would be just walking in like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm I set. Got, I, 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 got, I got two or three years, at least two or three years. And and it's amazing because it did have such a, uh, a big following. I mean, from those the kids. I mean, it, it's like it was amazing. Yeah, it was um. I would go on set when we'd tape live. And I tell you what, all those kids, uh, and they were kids at the time. I remember, I think Tiffany Amber uh, Thiessen turned 21. They all sort of turned 20, 21 when we were doing the show. And I wasn't much older, but they came from a different world. They'd been on television since they were 16, basically, right? And I was uh, I was amazed at how professional they were. Um, those kids, would they would enter the scene and the audience would, like the Beatles had just shown up, they would scream. They would squeal. A.C. Slater, you know, Mario Lopez, who, by the way, I don't, he's, he's, um, what's that uh, thing? Oh, that's right. The picture of Dorian Gray. There is no doubt in my mind he has a picture somewhere in a closet that is aging horribly because he really hasn't changed know, since He looks 20. exactly the same. He almost looks better, to tell you the truth. I know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You can't drink that much green juice or do that many crunches, but, I mean, he was a real sweetheart and really nice, and they all treated their fans so well. Like, they would come out and they would, the kids would start screaming and ruining takes. Like, the takes are unusable. And then Mark Paul Gossler and Mario would walk over and they'd go, hey guys, we love you. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to sign everything that you brought and we'll take pictures and everything. But this time around, we got to be quiet when AC enters, okay? And then, But we need you to laugh really hard when Screech makes that joke, okay? And they would just nod like the great, you know, the, <laughs> the space cadet glow. Whatever you say, Mark Paul. And, and that's how we would get through the taping. It was, it was amazing. Holland Taylor got signed onto that as well. You know Holland? Oh, yeah, she's been, I mean... She was in Two and a Half Men. She's been in everything. She was in Bosom Buddies. She's a Bosom Buddy. She's also a Tony Award winning actress I know. From, from the theater. I know. It's... So she signs on to this. Uh, maybe she had mortgage problems. I don't know. But once again, it just goes to show you that, you know, uh, work is work and actors like to work no matter where they've come from or what they've done before. So I'm on the show. I've been on the show a couple of episodes, so I'm a veteran now, right? So I know how this goes down. We're standing behind the flats. They don't introduce us in the beginning. They only introduce the kids. It's pointless to bring out the old man and the old woman. You know what I mean? So we're standing back there, and uh, we're behind the flat for our first scene. She's the dean. I'm the professor. And um, and they introduce the kids, and the place erupts. And Holland Taylor grabs me, and she goes, oh, dear God, what have I signed on to? <laughs> well, you figure, yeah, it's, it's it's just one of those things. It's it's crazy. It's pandemonium. I mean, it's. Yeah. Like, I remember I I waited tables at, at Planet Hollywood in San Diego. Oh boy! And Jonathan Taylor Thomas, it was when Home Improvement was big, was showing up. Well, once again, you would have thought the damn Beatles showed up because right. we're sitting there, and I would walk to work because I lived in a gas lamp. So I'm walking, and like 
ships with me there at 11 to set up or whatever, at 10.30. And I see, because it was in Horton Plaza, mm-hmm. I see just people lined up. And I'm going, and then we're sitting there going, well, this is going to be great. We're not going to make any tips because it's, you know, kids with their parents just coming in. But he would go into the, <laughs> I mean, it's just be honest. No, you no, He was going into the merchandise store. Uh, so he was signing autographs. But I was sitting there, I mean, for like a block and a half, I'm sitting there going, Holy crap! You know, it was amazing, and those the kids would go nuts. What's well, it, it? It was my first exposure, truly, uh, of the power of television. You know, the first week I'm on the show, I get uh, like I don't know, like three or four trash bags filled with fan mail. Oh, Professor Lasky, I love your hair. Oh, you're so cute. Please send me this. I want to study anthropology. Blah 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 blah. I mean, really sweet, sweet. The idea that you know, fan mail, I think still still is such a beautiful thing. The idea that you've taken time out of your life to write, I think, is amazing. That's why I always try to answer. However. In the course of the show, as anybody who's ever watched it will tell you, I kiss Kelly Kapowski. I kiss Tiffany Amber Thiessen, who, by the way, just for the record, we were consenting adults. This is totally okay. <laughs> Ethically, as a teacher to a student, probably wrong, but we were both consenting adults. But Tiffany was with Zach Morris, played by Mark Paul Gosler, and that was like the holy union. So you so were hated. I get like 12 bags the next week of basically, <laughs> fuck you. Cut your hair off. Hey, you bucktooth. I hate anthropology. You're not so cute after all, male. And I really was, I was like, oh, wow, this really hits out. Could you imagine if, if that happened when there was social media? You would have been ripped oh, apart I would have had to take my social I mean, media yeah. down, you know? Which, by the way, in case in case you want to follow a 51-year-old man who dyes his hair, that's PatrickFabian.com or at PatrickFabian on Twitter or Mr. Patrick Fabian on Instagram. Oh, there you go. There you go. So now, now when that show ended. Oh, by the way, it ended. Why? Because it was on Friday nights, and the Olsen twins had a show on. Maybe it was two of a kind, or it was their other iteration, but it just kicked our ass right off the air. The numbers weren't even close, which goes to show you, I guess, at the moment, this idea of transferring something from Saturday morning with its ratings did not translate into an evening show for them. Yeah, because people, you know, it's once again, it's, you know, it's a Saturday morning show. You're not going to really watch that on a, on a Friday night. No, but I want to thank TBS and TNT publicly because they've been playing it for the last 20 years, basically before and after high school in two hour blocks. And I still get the residual checks that allow me to buy a really nice lunch about every four weeks. See, that's good, though. Uh, it's amazing. And that's why, by the way, when I go through the airport or when I do anything or when people think they know me from high school or forget 20 years of a body of work of being in a whole bunch of different things, that's the thing, without a doubt. And it almost doesn't matter the age. If you're a 45-year-old man, I'm like, oh, yeah, you had a Jones for Tiffany Amber Thiessen and I got to be your conduit to kiss her. Yes, I did. I'll get people literally yell at me through the airport. Yo, you kiss Kelly Kapowski. Really? Yeah, so- and I just raise my fist and keep walking, you know. And I'm like, that's 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 as cool as I get in this life. Which, by the way, I'm not complaining. If I die tomorrow and they say he kissed Kelly Kapowski and it's on my tombstone, you know, so be it. So and that's just amazing. You forget how, like, and especially now, you're right because TV replays all the time. It's something that I always say. You know, so many actors now get a whole brand new group of fans because. You can watch any show pretty much except for The White Shadow. And that, that you, I was pissed. I can't. But you can go an, back. Yeah, you can go to Netflix or iTunes or find them. So that must be crazy for you because, as I said, you're, the whole there's kids who are now seeing you that weren't even around when that show came out. No, they weren't even born. Exactly. They weren't even. <laughs> then you get really weird, right? So they weren't even born. They're looking at me from a visage of 25 years ago. And then they go, and they even get on Twitter and they go, you're so cute. And I'm like, thank you. Have you checked out my IMDb recently? <laughs> <It's>, 
You know what I mean? And and it's weird. It's weird living in this time. And I've got two daughters. I got two young daughters, three and five years old. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like for them living with this. This. uh, It's like there's no discard, right? Because I can I can easily reach back. I don't even have to reach back. It's right on my phone. I can dive five years back to the photo. I don't have to worry about what was that dinner like? Oh, it looked actually it was this. Right. It looked exactly like this. And that's almost becomes, it starts to, uh, too much memory, memory almost full, right? Everything is up here all the time. Professor Lasky runs parallel with anything I'm doing right now as well. And that's because of the internet and because of, of all that stuff. And sometimes it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's great and it's fun. And Hey, I got in the post. Good for me. But also it's like, wow, does it ever advance? It is. It is crazy. You know, you sit there and, and now it's like you everything's always going to be around. I mean, as I said, you know, when I went to college, you know, I, 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 found, I found, I found a picture my friend sent me on Facebook and it's a guy giving a moon and I'm, looks like I'm biting his ass. Well, you know, and, but he, thank God he's not big on Facebook, but it's one of those things you're drunk, you're a freshman, you go, Hey, I'm going to bite his ass. And then I sit there, but now if that happened, it would be, it's a screensaver for somebody. Yeah. It's I a mean, Christmas it's, mug. It's amazing. I'm sitting there going, yeah. wow, my God, thank God some of the stuff. And then there's one of me passed out on a, on the in the lob in our lobby of our dorm, and I think that's funny. But now I'd be like, hey, you know, such and such. You know, now if you're in college, oh, did you see he got drunk? And they do it, and you're like, holy crap, you can't trying to get a job. It's like, sir, uh, you're dressed up as a chicken backdooring a mailman. I'm afraid that's not going to actually work for your pension very well. I want to talk more about your career, but I want to talk about the the project you're involved now. Oh, great! And uh, because because I watched it, I watch it all the time. Me and my girlfriend, it's great because we sit there and. It's people just know it's better call Sal. I, I call I, I call it's better call Sal. I always call it better call Sal to piss her off. I like she was, that. It's not like it's that. Not that. It's, it's better call Sal. And what we love about it is because you know, thank God we get the East Coast feed, so we can record it at six or whatever, and then we can sit there and we after Jeopardy, we watch Jeopardy during dinner <laughs> oh, if we're home. We watch because we both and she didn't watch Breaking Bad, and I told her you don't have to watch Breaking Bad, and that's the one thing that's great about the show. The few things that do come from Breaking Bad. You don't need to like Tuco and the other guys. You don't, it doesn't, they don't make a difference. They're new characters to you. But now, were you a big Breaking Bad fan? And how did this whole role come up, along? Because, you know, you're coming onto a, you're, you know, you've had a great body of work, but you're coming on now to a, you know, it's going to be critically acclaimed because it's coming from Vince Gilligan uh, and Peter yeah, Gold. And, 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 you know, Odin Kirk is just amazing. Were you a fan of Breaking Bad? And what was the whole process of getting this role? Well, I said earlier, my job, and I, I still think that this, my job is to show up. An audition. My job isn't to uh, decide to get the job. Uh, and this comes after realizing, oh, you're not going to be Brad Pitt, which I think every actor uh, in whatever coast you're in, at some point, you re- it, there's a moment where you go, oh, I get to be a working actor. What a great gift. And, and you can stop giving up the, this idea of like, I'm going to be Richard Burton or anything like that. Not that I ever thought, but there's always a chance because it's a crapshoot and you never know. Some people get vaulted up in the world and you go, holy shit, wouldn't that be great? Um, but in the end, what I do is drive around and I, I audition. My job is to audition. My job is to show up for the five minutes they've allotted me and show them that on this particular script, this is the way I see it. And I brought all of my tools of the trade to bear. This is the best I can come up with the interpretation of this given all of the uh, either good details or or lack of details that you've given me onto this role. I've dressed appropriately, I've showed up on time, and I've memorized my script, and here I am. And at that point, my job is completely over. I may or may not be the answer to the question for the people on the other side of the table. I may be close to the answer. 
I may be far, far away from the answer, but if I am not the answer, then it is not my job. And sometimes it hurts, sometimes it doesn't. I've certainly gotten jobs I feel like I had no business getting, and other times I've driven home in the car, you know, just going, oh my gosh, that was so mine, I can't believe, and the call never comes, you know? So it, that, the, the business is about being able to negotiate, at least this is, I'm only speaking for myself, to negotiate the headspace of why it happens and why it doesn't happen. Because the only thing I can really control if there is such a thing is to be as prepared as possible. And that goes all the way back to getting a degree at Penn State and getting another degree. And for all the additions that I did poorly on and for all the additions I did well on, it's a constant uh, sort of amalgamation, which leads to, so this audition comes for Better Call Saul. I'm going to try and talk even a little faster because there's two big stories that go with it. Um, we got time. Okay, great. <laughs> so I'm a 50-year-old man, right? And I've got a wife now. And I got two kids and, and, and I, have, I have a mortgage and I've never had any of those things. And I'm starting to look at the ceiling at night going, whoa, <laughs> I'm a freelance artist. <laughs> Yay for me. You know, I hadn't had a run of like 100 episodes of anything. I hadn't been able to, you know, put bank away and stuff like that. And you start to look at your choices and what's going on and everything else. And the reason I say this is because I got a, an audition for a thing called Dog with a Blog as an ABC family show. Reagan's been on. I love Reagan. I used to play volleyball with him. Great guy. So I get this dog with a blog. It's a guest star on Dog with a Blog. I think it's ABC Family. And there's there's a bit of you that just goes, it's called Dog with the, wait, the dog's number one on the call sheet. I'm getting called in for Dog with the Blog. And then you think, well, can't they offer it to me? Haven't I done enough? And the answer, by the way, the answer to that question is no. <laughs> the answer is no. You, you have not done enough and they're not going to offer it to you. And then the reason why becomes apparent. So I put on my acting suit. I go down to Dog with a Blog. And there's 20 of me because guess what? There's not a ton of roles out there for guys between 40 and 60. And so you're sitting there and I'm looking down the row and I'm like, oh, there's that guy. Oh, there's that guy. Then you get a little nervous. Now the back of your neck starts sweating. So anyways, I go in and and I start to audition. And uh, the lovely woman who uh, uh, was uh, uh, casting us, um, I walk in and she's, t- you know, it's, it's a job. And so she looks at me and she goes, all right, Patrick, thank you for coming in. I'm like, thank you. And she goes, now, when you're talking to, uh, uh, when you're talking to, when you're talking to the camera, when you're talking to the dog, you'll be talking to me. And she points to herself. And then she says, and when you're talking to the camera, you'll be talking to this. And then she points to the camera and I'm standing there saying, okay, I just had a woman explain to me that she's the dog. And then she had to tell me what a camera was. And so I'm all in my head. Halfway through the audition, I get a chuckle. Now I become desperate and I want them to love me. So I, I do it. They seem to love me. I'm great. I call my agent on the way home and I'm like, you know what? I think we're going to get a call on this. And sure enough, I do. They, they put a pin in me. And I'm like, what's that mean exactly? It means they like you, but they're not going to quite book you yet. So I wait for five days and I'm very excited about doing Dog with a Blog. I'm like, this is great. You know, this is American money and, and my children will see it. And that's a good thing. And isn't it nice to be invited to the party? And da, 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 da. Well, about a week and a half later, I called. And you should never, ever do this. I think any actor is nodding his head right now knowing. I called to follow up on why they hadn't called to offer me the job. I never called to find out, hey, did they forget to call me about that job? <laughs> sure enough, uh, they'd offered it to a name. And, and and like my teeth started to fall out of my head. I'm like, they offered it to a name, but there was there was 20, we the 20 of us in the room all had names, right? Aren't we? So depression sets in, right? And uh, two weeks later, I got an audition for Better Call Saul. I know it's the prequel to Breaking Bad, but I've never seen Breaking Bad. Okay. And the reason is 
my wife was nine months pregnant when Breaking Bad came out. So she's sitting there rubbing the miracle of life in her womb. We watch the pilot, and she turns to me, and she goes, yeah, I'm not on board with this. <laughs> so we have our first child. Uh, I, I miss Breaking Bad. We have a second child. I, I, I miss it again. I managed to, having seen almost a little bit of everything, miss it completely. I missed the final Emmy Award winning final season, <laughs> but I can tell you all about Clifford the Big Red Dog, Super Y, and Jake and the Neverland Pirates all fucking day. Um, so I, I, I don't know it. So the, the audition, in answer to your question, 10 minutes later, for anybody who's still listening, is the sides they send me are three pages of dummy sides. They have no relation to the show. I don't know this at the time. There's no script and there's no nothing. There's three char- there's, a, there's a character description. Uh, basically a, a, a lawyer, a white-collar lawyer. <laughs> so I get these three pages of sides after getting bumped from Dog with a Blog um, by a name. And I come down, and like any good husband, you know, wants to blame his wife somehow. So I, I say, what is this? This is crazy. Are you kidding me? Have I chosen a profession where, I mean, this is like, this is like sitting on a merry-go-round, and they put a, they put a dartboard 50 yards away, and they give you one dart, and they say, go. And so I finished doing that whole, don't you know who I think I am speech. My wife looks at me, and she goes, well, isn't that nice? You get to make up whatever you want. And I was like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but she wasn't wrong. So, I, you know, I go in, and then I go, oh, well, who's who's casting this? Oh, it's, it's Sharon Bialy and uh, Sherry Thomas, Bialy Thomas. I haven't seen those ladies in a while, and they're very good casting directors. They, oh, they also cast The Walking Dead. So I'm like, great. <gasps> well, this is perfect. I mean, there's no way I'm going to get Better Call Saul, right? I mean, they can ha- they can have anybody they want. So, so what is this? Oh, this is an opportunity to go re-meet Bialy Thomas. And maybe, just maybe, I might get a two-episode arc on The Walking Dead. So that's my goal going in. Because I don't know the show. I can't watch Breaking Bad in two days. And, you know, I don't know if they would help me anyways. And so I go into the audition. And I meet uh, Sherry Thomas, and it's her in a, in a camcorder, you know. That's the way it is these days, you know. Rarely do you get to see the producers right out of the gates. And so again, we meet, we have niceties, and she and she says, okay, these guys these guys like to keep it real. So, you know, and I'm like, oh, sure. So I hear that and let it run right on my ears. She turns on the camera, and then I act like I'm on uh, the stage of the old Vic, running right through the lens to the back of the auditorium. Just huge. And I can feel it, but I'm unable to stop it as well. It's that weird dichotomy of like you're out there trying to do it and you just can't change the steering wheel. You just can't change the channel. And I finish and she goes, okay, well, we have that. And then God bless her. I owe her so much for this. She goes, let's do it again. And like I said, they let's keep it real. So then training and whatnot coming through. I'm just telling this for anybody who's curious about process. At that moment, I go, oh, listen to the note. That's all they want to see. They just want to see if you can actually <laughs> fucking open your ears and listen because nobody right. has to work with somebody who doesn't know how to listen. So I throw it all completely away, as they say. Um, and then I just do it. And she goes, great. And we exchange things. I walk out. And I'm like, well, that's good. Maybe I'll get called back for The Walking Dead. And I leave it at the door because there's no way this is happening, right? About two weeks later, I get a call uh, and they say, Vince Gilligan saw your tape and he liked it. And uh, I remember my manager called me. I've been with him, Don Spradlin, over at Essential Town. I've been with him as long as I've been in business for 25 years. And he goes, yeah, Vince Gilligan saw your tape. And he liked it. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, really. And I said, well, we both shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so the very next audition I had, I'm over at Sony. I'm meeting Vince Gilligan, Peter Gould, uh, the Brain Trust from AMC, and Sharon and Sherry. We do it a couple of times. And then I get a call a week and a half later and I have the job. 
And so, uh, you know, it's like, uh, is it, is it life changing in many ways? Absolutely. Um, but is it, uh, you know, I got the job the same way as I, as I did before sort of going in and, you know, hoping, but I wouldn't have gotten it if I didn't have a good casting director there to help me get out of my own head, out of my own way. And, uh, and, and long answer to your question. And then I watched Breaking Bad like a demon for the next two weeks. Well, it must be now when you're doing this, it shoots in Albuquerque. Albuquerque, yeah. So that must be sort of something because uh, you have two young kids. Right. And you're sitting there going, and, and nothing against Albuquerque, but I still remember when I drove across the country, I stopped in New Mexico. I stopped in Needles. And uh, and I ordered, I was at a crappy hotel, and I ordered a Domino's pizza because I didn't know what to get in needles, and they never showed up. And that and I will never go to New Mexico again because wow. I had that, they screwed me on a pizza. Domino's screws you out of needles. Yeah, and needles. So now, so now, you, now, how do you sit there and say, okay. And did, I get this dream job, right? Whoa, this is fantastic. Um, I moved to Southern California for a lot of reasons. One of them is the beach and the ocean. Right. I love it. I, I mean, Regan and I used to play down in beach volleyball all the time. I still do. So you get this dream job, and they're like, and it shoots in Albuquerque. Not Santa Fe, Albuquerque, <laughs> which I never, uh, I mean, I'd done, I'd done a guest spot on, uh, I think, uh, Longmire, and I'd done um, Crash. So I'd been there, but it was real in and out, like two, three days. Um, but I get to Albuquerque, and I have to say, I sort of went with a, oh, my gosh. In two years' time of being there, um, my brain is completely wrapped and changed around on it. Uh, you know, I get to hike and go do stuff. I treat it like a commuter city, though. Um, I go in, I do my work, and then I come back out because it's only an hour and a half flight, really. Okay. Sometimes it takes longer to drive from my house to LAX than it does to yeah. fly from LAX to Albuquerque. <laughs> I mean, we'd all appreciate that, right? That's it's so true. So it's become great. I, I, I've really enjoyed it and really embraced it because I've really embraced it. Like when I have just a few minutes, uh, hours off, you can go hiking up Sandia Peak. You can get out into the hot springs. You can get out. When the aspens change in the fall up in Santa Fe, it, to stand there and watch that mountain turn yellow is just it's breathtaking. I mean, there's only 2 million people in the entire state. Right. So once again, like any good Los Angelino, they complain about their rush hour traffic. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, oh, really? <laughs> oh, you, oh, you had to sit for five minutes? I, oh, I, live, in, I live in Burbank. All of it's probably worse than what you have. <laughs> now, the thing about your character is, and it's so funny, because I always post who's going to be on my show. And, uh, and people now who don't watch a lot of episodic, they won't know your face. Because you've been a lot of you have been your resume is very long. You've been a lot of stuff, so people are seeing a lot of times. Some people who are you know the people who watch a Better Call Sal or a Breaking Bad aren't the people who would watch you know let's say a network scandal. They're not necessarily yeah. scandal crossover fans. And so now people are getting a girl, a girl Abby Nelson. I went to high school with. She wrote, "Oh, he plays a dick really well." So, <laughs> so what's it like for you now? Because people are and now if you if you're not if you're not watching, you know. You find out he's not that bad. I mean, but you're, you know, what's it like when you sit there and you get to play a smug character and the public perception, especially now because we have Twitter and we have Facebook oh, and yeah. people, unfortunately, and they I always talk in. about this, they don't, they don't know that that's not you. Like people, I mean, most for us, we think, well, that's just normal. He's an actor. But a lot of people sit there and probably think you're just a jerk. I mean, how does it like, what is, has it, have people sent you tweets or people run into people who just think you're an asshole oh how about hashtag he's a douche yeah um that's uh and you know what and i'm i've, I've just gotten into social media a bit again uh, at patrick fabian on twitter and mr patrick fabian on instagram whore that i am um and it's a it is a great way to interact with fans but like when the show first came on i was un i was unaware of the depth of breaking bad's um roots worldwide 
and uh, and people people are unfiltered. In case you haven't noticed, on the on the interweb, people are very unfiltered with what they want to say, and they do take characters to heart, and they don't like it when uh, you know. Jimmy McGill, which is, uh, you know, Saul uh, in in his inception, played by Bob Odenkirk, in the very pilot, he says, he refers to me as Lord Vader. Well, right off the bat, I am colored by by the guy we tuned in to see saying, this guy's an asshole, right. which was great, great writing on their part because, um, because as it turns out at the end of season one, I'm not as bad as, as I'm painted. But because that seed is planted, every action I have then is colored by the audience. And it, and so then when the, re, when the reveal happens that I'm not that bad after all, it feels like, whoa, what a great thing. And I think that has to be credited to to Vince and Peter and Tom Schnauz and Jennifer Hutchinson and all the writers there because they know that. I mean, they're, they're, they're so attuned to that kind of detail. But last season, I got wave after wave of like, you're a dick, you're a douche, you know, this and that. <laughs> um, and then when it turned out that I wasn't so much, then they all said, oh, sorry about that. And uh, then this season, this season, all of a sudden, they didn't like what I was doing to Kim Wexler, played so well by Ray Seahorn. And uh, and now people are just like, I knew you were a dick. Totally knew it, man. <laughs> and so, but you know what's fun? It's great. I love to be able to engage with the fans as, as much as I can with that sort of thing. And um, I appreciate anybody, again, it's like the fan mail back to the Saved by the Bell thing. Anybody who's taking time to go ahead and watch the show simultaneously and tweet about it with other like-minded people and have an opinion about the characters and be invested in the show, how can I not be anything other than complimented by that? You know, and by the way, it's, you want to think I'm bad? That's okay. I don't think I'm bad. You know, maybe you're just jealous of my suits. They're uh, very nice uh, suits. They're very nice suits. Jennifer Bryan, the wardrobe lady, needs all the credit in the world. And I say this not with any sense of um, flippancy. She gives me my suit of armor to pour into. I pour into that and 90% of my work done is done. You know? Well, I think also what it is, what adds to the character is, I think it's just like the way it's shot. And I mean, I, I watched this stuff like when you were sitting at the end of the table, you sort of look like an authoritative prick. I mean, just the way you are. I mean, but it sits there and it, you don't think that right off the bat. I mean, I mean it just you don't sit there. It's subliminal. It's like you have a very, a very... I don't, I don't want to say dictatorship, yeah, can, but, yeah, but right. it, it is, but it's something that, and I think that's what's great about the show also is that there's things that you see subliminal that hit you that you wouldn't, you don't break it down. Next time you see it. me in the boardroom, next time you see a long shot of just me square on sitting at the head of the table, look up behind my head. Okay. It, it just so happens that the, uh, the work that they have there behind is, you know, just some wood patterns and whatnot. But when properly framed, my head sits in a halo much like a 16th century christ painting <laughs> it's perfect so so i mean it's good so they so they've gone into that which is great it's great because it's broken down to the detail and people absolutely arthur albert's our dp and okay. he worked on breaking bad as well you know we've had some uh people who used to direct on breaking bad michael slovis uh you know um and they really know the world they also know the, the, the crew has been together for now like six seven years so they have a shorthand. They know what they're doing. Uh, it's all about the shot. It's all about framing up and everything else. And, and I, I delight in watching the show just like the fans do on Monday because also like any good actor, again, I speak for myself, you know, the show in my mind is about me, right? So it's my journey through the script. And, and when I'm not shooting that stuff, I'm not shooting that stuff. And that's six months ago as well. So I saw it forget. Like I watched the episode the other night and I was like, oh, you know, I, I'm not around for half the show. And to see that from the table read now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Holy Christ, that happens. It's gut punching for me too to watch how things, you know, piece together. And then to appreciate just the shots they do and the way they tell it. And, and you know, 
Breaking Bad and uh, and Better Call Saul are not the only shows out there that are shooting really great television in that respect. But uh, I I will put Arthur Albert and our DP and our and our, our lighting crew against anybody on television right now. Well, what's it also like for you when you look back? And this sounds random, but you know we're we're the same age, around the same age. Yeah. And we all grew up watching Laverne and Shirley. Sure. What's it like to be working with Lenny? I mean, you know, I mean, no matter what, they they're pop. They were pop culture icons. And he had a lunchbox on. He, he was made. He was into a lunchbox at one point. And right? Spinal Tap. I mean, you're walking yeah. with a guy who just has this. I mean, that must just be amazing because you share scenes with him. And it must be great for an actor because he's just one of those guys that's a complete actor, also. Oh, he's a complete actor, and you know, and. and you know, who, who are my heroes? Guys who are like really talented and really good. And everybody who I've run across who, who matches that bill in, in my entire career, they've all been, they've all shared a similar quality. They're curious and they're intelligent. Um, Bob and Michael uh, read hardback books. Uh, those are those are those are things that are bound with pages and have right. words printed on them. For those of you out there, uh, it doesn't. <laughs> and they read hardback books and they're voracious readers and they read everything from the left and the right of the spectrum, science, history, biography, this and that. And they just pass them back and forth. They constantly read. They're constantly curious. And you know, and McKean, in particular, this season, I've had a lot to do with him. You know, and it's like you go into a scene with him, and, and I get nervous. I get like you know, like I'm a like I'm a rookie or something. I feel like you know, I want to do good and I want to do well and I want to play tennis with the guy who's better than me. I'm, I'm playing with the pro is the way I feel like and uh, and I hopefully my game gets raised by doing so. And um, and to watch him explore stuff and figure out stuff and want to play as well. There was a conference scene from last year. Him and I didn't have a whole lot to do. Uh, it was driven by Bob and Ray. And then about halfway through it, all of a sudden he like, literally the light bulb goes over his head. He goes, oh, he goes, oh, Patrick, you know what? It occurred to me, Howard and Chuck should have something that happens, I think maybe somewhere in this moment, we should have a, a, a something. And I said, oh, okay, let's not say anything. Let's just, we'll see what happens. And I was like, great, great. So we do it and it helped move Bob and then moved right. Like it was like, it was just good old acting, talking and listening and, and, and behaving. And it was like a great reminder of uh, no matter what level you're working at, it's, it's still the basics. And he was all about the basics and figuring that out. And it ends up in the cut and it really adds to it. It's really good. Vince came over afterwards. He goes, what did you guys just do there? And we were like, oh, really? He goes, oh, that's great. That's great. More of that. And so now next week's the season finale. Next week's season two finale. We got picked up for season three, so don't cry too many tears. Well, I was, I was, I, for some reason, I thought last night was the season finale. And I was sitting there and we were watching it. And then they go, come Because I always watch the previews. My girlfriend I never does. Never I never watched the My previews. girlfriend hates it. She, oh, I, I hate Joanne's that. Joanne's like, I don't want to watch it. Why would you want to do that? Because I like to know what's going on. Oh, my God. That's the reason we made the whole show. So you yeah. can watch what's going on yeah, next week. I do, but I just want to see what's going on. I like the teaser. <laughs> but, but she, uh, she, uh, she goes, oh, should I? keep this and she usually erases it i go well and she goes no next week's and i said oh so i was happy i'm like cool i can see because i thought the way it ended yesterday i was like what's well, well that i can see that going into that but that's a big that's a cliffhanger little, that's, that's a little that's a little unsatisfying a little dark cliffhanger no i think you're gonna like uh i think you're gonna like uh, i said this before if you like season one you're gonna like season two i think you're gonna like season two's finale without a doubt and uh you know, I think we set the table really well with season one, and I think season two is delivered in a, in a lot of great ways. I think we know people now, right? Last year, we're like, who's this guy? Right. What's that? And this year, you get the benefit of like, oh, fucking Chuck. Oh, there's Howard again, you know? Now, do you know when season three starts shooting? I imagine sometime in the middle of the summer. Okay. Um, funnily enough, uh, since I'm like number, I don't know, six or seven on the call sheet, they don't really run things by me. They don't. <laughs> So now you go back to New Mexico. Now do you have an apartment down there? Or? Uh, no, I, I literally treat it like a commuter. I go in and I stay with the lovely people at the Hilton, the Uptown Garden Suites. Thank you, Julie, for taking care of me every time I stay in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then you come back. So and you... then I come back because, right. you know, my wife's freelance writer-director and 
so between our household, um, uh, he's just got to catch his catch can, you know. We're, we're almost out of time. See, that that's because that I good. talked the entire time. I've, that's, I've, that's what I like. I know, but it's your show. And, no, you know, no, no, no. Okay. I'm only as hip as my guest. Put it I'm just the guy who looks, I just do research <laughs> and ask the questions. Okay. And then, and the thing is, and everyone always says that why I like to listen, I don't, you know, I don't want to do all the talking because if I wanted to do the talking, you'd have, you'd, it would be about me. You'd be Howard Stern. And yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I mean, and I love Howard Stern, but I don't want to do the talking. I want to yeah, come bring you. someone to come to interview. And you come in, and you know, and plus you're on a very hot show right now, which which is which is by the way, I will, I will say this, um, it's 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 fun to be on a hot show. Oh, it must be. I, I mean, after it's not like I've I've slaved for years. I've had a very nice career. I've been very very blessed and very very lucky. There's no doubt about it. But it's nice to be on uh, the pretty girl right now. You know, it's nice to be the pretty girl at the prom. You know, people people go out of their way to be like, hey man, I like your show, and and that's good. You know, not that I don't like the Professor Lasky stuff at all. It's it's always nice to be recognized, but. Uh, I've often said at the end of my career, I'd like to be able to look back at like two or three things where I can absolutely say, oh, I am really, really, really proud of that because it's a crapshoot, you know, giving it's hard to make stuff good. Right. So many things can go wrong along the way. And that includes casting. And you see that from the very beginning when you were in that first pilot. Oh, you right. were in. I mean, you know, on paper, all looks happen. great. You're like, this is great. And nonetheless, it's not happening. So uh, I'm, I'm really lucky and fortunate. And I'm glad to be on, uh, uh, glad to be on a good show. And I'm really supportive to everybody who like watches the show tweets and, and and likes it thank you you're giving me a really great part of my life what's what's the coolest hookup you've gotten from the show the coolest hookup oh like a nice big steak dinner or what some said oh you mean like you know uh, people send stuff people put you know try and be uh, i don't oh worry. no no i got it real quick i'm at the emmys first of all i'm at the emmys holy christ i used to sit in my panel basement in pennsylvania and watch it i'm at the emmys on the carpet and they keep saying oh it's really hot are you okay i'm like am i okay i'm at the fucking emmys i'm great i walk past terry bradshaw and michael Strahan, who are doing the the fox live thing and i go oh but you know um uh, oh what's his name um, eric stone street is talking to them and i'm like well he's eric stone street he's got like a clutch of emmys and so i go walking down the carpet all of a sudden somebody grabs me and say do you want to go talk to those guys i'm like yeah the guy wearing the headset who's running the fox thing Walks up, he goes, love your show, man. You want to talk? So I get up there and I meet Terry Bradshaw as a Steeler fan. Uh, it's my hometown hero. And Michael Strahan. And and Michael Strahan goes, oh, you're on that Saul thing. I'm like, yeah. He goes, good. Haven't seen it, but congratulations. And Terry Bradshaw goes, what's that? And Michael Strahan says, don't worry about it. And he goes, do you know football? I said, yeah. I said, I'm a Steeler fan. They go, you want to be on the air? And 10, 9, 8. And I go live on the air with Terry Bradshaw and Michael Strand, and we talk football for 45 seconds. And I was like, done. I didn't even have to go into the Emmys. I'm like, I'm done. Let's go See, home. There you go. <laughs> so that's a good story to end with. Now, now give again, once give all your uh, public. Uh, all oh, your, on, uh, uh, follow me on Twitter, Patrick Fabian, and on Instagram, at Mr. Patrick Fabian. So people follow him. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot during the political stuff. Just jokes. People get pissed at me, but they're just jokes. I don't get into the heavy things I, I make fun of a lot of people follow me on uh twitter also follow me on instagram that's at cooper talk one i post pictures of food because i like you i tell you to eat healthy and cheap because you know you, you gotta eat healthy and cheap and i pick pictures of my guests and all that kind of same stuff and uh and yeah and, and uh go to my website coopertalk.net i have uh well i think patrick will be uh, episode, episode 500 you'll be episode 500 on my uh on my website because that's where i'm at i'm i i haven't Every episode hasn't been up, but there's been this is number 500 on the website. So check that out. Send me an email, Cooper at coopertalk.net. I'll try to get back to you. Stitcher, iTunes, all one word, Cooper Talking, do that. And don't forget my other website, stopthesalt.com. It's the cookbook I wrote, low sodium cooking for one. It's healthy. 
go to Amazon or Barnes Noble and you can get it. But you can go to Cooper Talk, I mean, stopthesalt.com and I make more money. And that's all it counts. It's very easy recipes. No pictures intimidate you. No long list of ingredients. So do that. Also, go back to IMDb and check out Patrick's, uh, his whole body of work and go, go find some of his stuff. You know, it's always good to see people, you know, now in a role and see him years ago in different roles they did. So do that. So follow him, Mr. Patrick Fabian on Instagram, Patrick Fabian on Twitter. I'm Steve Cooper. Follow me at Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll talk to you guys next week.